Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio. I am your host, Mandy Beverly. This is a podcast for women by women. As we know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but sometimes we know there can be a few stormy seas. So when the tough times happen, the proverbial hits the fan, what do you do? Who do you have to become in the process? That's the real story, and that's remarkable. We love to tell the story of women that are a few steps further ahead on their own entrepreneurial journey. They know exactly what it feels like to be where you are. So these women are not only paving the way for themselves, but they're also paving the way for the women that follow in their footsteps. This is Remarkable Woman Radio. It's Remarkable Woman Radio. My name's Mandy Beverly, and I'm here today with my special guest, Hilary Johnson, who is from the Luminate Financial Group. And so we're going to hear what's going on in New Zealand, what's the state of the play, what do we do with a hot market, and just really start to talk to this very special woman about how to really look after ourselves moving forward for the goals and dreams that we have of, of basically buying a house or a business or whatever. So welcome along to today's show, Hilary. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you, Mandy. It's a real privilege to be here. Now, I was looking at your website, Hilary, and um, so it's uh, luminate.co.nz, and, um, and you were, um, and I love it on there that you have, if we can't do it for you, then it probably can't be done. So I just thought, oh, that's actually a really good catchphrase. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> it is indeed. Um, I think that that speaks very much to the fact that we've been around a long time. We've pretty much seen everything <laughs> that a market can do. Even um, you know now with COVID, we've seen things we never thought we would see before. So um, yeah, I guess for me personally, I, I've got a lot of experience in that I've, I've come out of a bank and I've been in the mortgage advising business for over 21 years. So I guess in that time, you see the ups and the downs and you really get a handle on how you can best help people. And sometimes the best way to help the person is to say, actually, we need to stop and we need to fix some things before you go ahead and buy a house. Um, so it's really, I guess, all those years of wisdom through trial and error and being in the industry, um, I think that really does give us a distinguishing mark in the industry. I think so, definitely. And I know that... Um, I've just said mortgage, uh, mortgage advisor, but I'm sure you're like a guardian angel to some of your clients as well, as you sort of protect their, you know, their backs as they do face up to what's going on in the world. So do you want to sort of give us a little bit more about, you know, what's going on in, you know, New Zealand at the moment as far as real estate goes and the mortgage industry and and banks and the way things seem to be getting really squeezed these days. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's interesting times. Um, and uh, thank you. I loved what you said about being a guardian angel. That's That sums it up hugely. I, I guess to start with, our business is all about people. And one of the things that we really stand by in our business is people before money. And that's, that's quite a thing to say in the business world of finance, people yeah. before money, because it is an enormous undertaking to buy a home. Often for people, it's the biggest financial investment they will ever make. 
um, and it's vitally important that they get good advice. Yeah. Anytime it's important to get good advice, but particularly in this market. So we've got a very hot market um, where there's a real shortage of supply. So very, very difficult to actually find a house to buy. A uh, customer I was helping this morning, she's been to 13 auctions, 13 <sighs> and has still not managed to buy a house. So you imagine how devastating that is on the human being, never mind the finances and the interest rates going up. So, um, yes, wow. absolutely. I, she'd have to prepare, they have to have all the lawyer yes. documents, and that's very yes. expensive. That must just cut into, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the good luck to toll. her. I hope I she... Know, I hope, I yeah. <laughs> the emotional toll is huge. And so... Um, very much I see myself as that support person walking the journey with the buyer um, because it's not an easy journey. It's scary. It's unknown. Most people don't buy a house, you know, 25 times in their life, maybe one, two or three times. So to have a professional um, advisor walk alongside with you and guide you, I just can't overstate the importance of that. Um, and I guess some questions that I ask, you know, my clients, are, you know, do, do you know what your loan should look like? Because if you don't know what your loan should look like, let's just say you don't know if your loan should be over 30 years or 25 years. Oh, well, I'll just pick one. That could be a $100,000 decision. That one decision, mm. if you were borrowing a million dollars, that could be a $100,000 decision. So you need to get some advice. Um, I don't know how to pay my mortgage faster. Does it matter? Maybe I won't pay it off faster. Um, again, that that could be a hugely costly decision. Um, things like what happens if interest rates go up? And that's what we're seeing in the economy at the moment. Um, inflationary pressures are driving interest rates up. We've seen historically low interest rates. So if I'm, let's say, a young couple who've bought a house and my very first million-dollar mortgage was fixed at 2.19%, and in a year's time, I come off and that percent has gone up to three and a half, four, what about five percent? What happens if that interest rate has gone up? And again, if I owe a million dollars, every time the rate goes up one percent, that's another $10,000 a year I've got to find yeah. to pay the mortgage. So am I prepared for that? Have I budgeted for that? What's the likelihood that that could happen? Who's going to give me that advice? Where would I find out how to manage and cope and have strategies to deal with that? So these are Those sorts of questions that people yeah. should be asking an expert. And do you and do you actually make sure that they can budget for that before they go anywhere near the bank, particularly at the moment because we know rates are going to be heading back up. Um, so do you make sure there's a bit of a buffer in their budget or is that just part of the preparation um, yeah, yep. absolutely. That's that's part of giving good advice, making sure that going forward, the customer is protected and won't end up in a situation where they can't afford their mortgage repayments within reason. I mean, things always happen in life that you can't plan for, but within yep. reason, there are a lot of steps we can take to protect people. Yeah. And then wow. again, when people take on particularly a, a large debt, um, I, I'm always asking them, what's your exit strategy? If you're 50 years old and you're taking a mortgage for 20 years, that means that you're going to be 70 when that mortgage is paid off. Are you going to retire at 65? And if you are, what are we going to do about it? 
You know, so what's the exit strategy? And although sometimes that can be frightening, it's more frightening not knowing. It's interesting (laughs) with younger people, how exciting it can be. Wow, if I lowered my my term and put my payments up a wee bit, oh my goodness, I would own my my home that much faster. Oh, and then if I watch my KiwiSaver building up beside my loan, gosh, I'm going to come out at retirement. Not only will I own the house, but, you know, possibly I'll have all this money in my KiwiSaver as well. So all those strategies, those very, very important questions about what will happen when you get to 65. Um, so again, my, my, my plea to people is get advice, get good advice. And here's the catch. It's free. Advice <laughs> from a mortgage advisor in New Zealand for a residential mortgage is free. There's no extra charge to the client. The mortgage advisor is paid by the lender. So there's not even any cost to get the good advice. Isn't that interesting? And so, you know, make sure that, yeah, you do arm yourself. And to have, you know, I'm still going back to that young that young person that you're looking after has gone through 13 auctions. You know, to have you by her side all that time, at least, because that would be just soul-destroying, wouldn't it? And also to be hearing no's all the time from banks because we know they're tightening up and we, you know, and all of that aspect. But I've got a question for you. How did you get started in the financial um, services industry? Yeah, it's a good question because it certainly wasn't intentional. (laughs) As a five-year-old little girl, I don't ever remember dreaming about being a banker. (laughs) (laughs) Can you remember what you dreamed about? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So maybe if I can go back a step to answer that. Um, I think the truth is I I grew up on a dairy farm in Africa, and so my parents were self-employed. So I had grown up watching um, my mom and dad run their own business, and I was always interested. Um, I loved to watch my dad, who was just such an entrepreneur. He would um, do things like say, okay, let's plant a crop of corn and then we'll sell each corn piece for one cent um, to the local people. And you take a great big truck of corn um, down to where the locals lived and they will be sold for one cent. So can you imagine he would come home with thousands of dollars in one cent pieces and we would sit (laughs) at the kitchen table in the farm kitchen counting out little piles of one cent pieces to go to the bank and bank them. Um, And I remember sitting at the dining room table, all of our staff were paid in cash um, in Africa, you, you didn't mm-hmm. have a bank account, they were paying cash. So sitting at the table with mom every month, counting out the wages, um, putting it in a little brown envelope and writing the staff member's name on it, then going with dad to give the staff member their wages. Um, just all of that, I think, made a real impression upon me about being a self-employed person. Um, And when I was 17, I was fortunate enough to be chosen as a Rotary exchange student. And I was sent to Chicago in the United States. I had never been out of Africa. So I'd never had McDonald's. I'd never seen a shopping mall. Um, You know, the the Western world was just a complete eye-opener to me. Going to America really gave me a feeling that I wanted to live in the Western world. I wanted to live in a country where there was certainty and justice and fairness and um, no war 
we had lived through a civil war. So I'd spent pretty much the first nine years of my life in a war. So I really, really was drawn to the first world and I could see the opportunities for a young woman, you know, um, particularly given that business was something I was interested in. So that's what led me to come to New Zealand. And I went to university. I went to Massey University in Palmerston North. Um, And the way that I got into New Zealand was my dad was actually a Kiwi. My dad, although was living in Africa, he was born in New Zealand. I just love because I was going to ask that because you've gone from Africa to Chicago, one of the biggest cities in the US, <laughs> and then to New Zealand. That's quite a quite a journey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And well, can I good. say how much I love and am so grateful for New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen some of the other sides of the world, and and we we really do have, you know, something very special here. Yeah. yeah. So Mass no. University was fabulous and a really good way to get an introduction to a new country. You know, come to university where all first years are new, doesn't matter where they've come from, um, made great friends. And I did an honours degree in business. So I actually studied business um, oh, at goodness. uni. Yeah. Yeah. And that got me hired by a bank. So um, in the 1990s, I didn't realize it at the moment, but in the 1990s, New Zealand um, was booming in terms of the employment. So there had been a massive decrease in employment because all the subsidies had been removed, etc. So by the time I came into the job market in the 90s, it was absolutely booming. So like the banks and the car companies and all sorts of big corporates would come to the university to court us to say, no, 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 come to me. We'll offer you this. We'll better the job offer. So I ended up in this wonderful environment where um, we actually had multiple job offers, most of us. Mm-hmm. And, and I chose the BNZ. I actually chose the Bank of New Zealand um, and went on to their graduate program. And that was sort of my introduction into banking unplanned just it was it was a wonderful offer that they gave me and the senior manager who hired me had a real vision for me he had sort of decided that the graduate program possibly wasn't giving them the maximum that it could and he was going to change it and use me as the example so I spent yeah I spent five fabulous years with the BNZ um pretty much doing what I wanted I got to pick whatever I wanted to do or have a go at to find what would help me to succeed and therefore show the graduate program would work, I could do. Wow. Yeah, so. And then how did you step out from that or what did you step out into yeah, after yeah. that? Five years. I spent five years with the BNZ. Um, My my final role was I was sales manager for the area we call the Wealth Belt, Uh, Rimuera, Parnell, St. Helias, those I I managed. Yes, I managed um, the sales side of those seven um, branches. And that was challenging and wonderful, but it was enough. Interesting. I just, I guess I knew myself and I knew that I had come to a point where I needed to do something different. My husband at the time had actually already started a mortgage advising business. So that was a very um, easy segue out of a bank, but staying in the same realm to move from a banker to a mortgage advisor. And that was in the year 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've really, as you said, 21 years mortgage advising. And what are you noticing at the moment? What's the difference between then and now? Or, yeah, what's the difference between then and now? Me? Mm. <laughs> I guess that I'm just, yeah, that I'm, so, that, I've, that I'm wiser because I've seen so much. 
So a mortgage is a mortgage is a mortgage, you know, as, as it was 20 years ago, so it is now. It's debt and it must be repaid and it's secured against the house. And if you don't pay it, they'll sell your house. So that all of those fundamentals are still the same. Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess my attention to the human beings in the transaction is probably the biggest thing that I've learned as I've got older, um, made mistakes, you know, um, been through ups and downs of my own in life. I think the way I approach the human beings in the transaction is probably the biggest change. Which must be really um, quite comforting for your clients as well, because they're seen as human beings rather than just a number. And we know there's plenty of people that will do that. There's plenty of banks that will just you know, sort of group people or however they, they do the selections. So to be able to be seen as, you know, this is important to me and, and being really treated so importantly is, is, is so important. You know, in, in New Zealand, Hilary, you know, first home buyers, it's really tough for them at the moment. And obviously you were telling a story about that woman earlier, but, you know, what advice would you give to, you know, those that are wanting to step up to the plate and own their own home, or, you know, their first home, what do you, what advice do you give them? Because, you know, if they can't do it on their own, do they group together with a couple of people? Do they, you know, is it still worthwhile doing, um, you know, being in the New Zealand property market, despite what they're doing, trying to make it harder for, to be there? Um, what advice do you have? Yeah, I think you hit on some really good keys there in terms of you don't have to do it alone. So there are ways that you can buy, particularly your first home together. There's some real fish hooks in it, though, so it needs to be done correctly. And for a bank to be comfortable to lend to, say, two or three friends or two siblings buying a home together, um, it needs to be done correctly. So I guess my advice is get good advice early in the piece. As soon as you start thinking, hmm, okay, I'm interested, I think I would like to buy a house, go and get some advice so that you know what you need to do to plan to get to the point where you put an application in. Too many people come to me, okay, we're all ready, we want to buy a house now, but if they had only come to me three months earlier and not taken on the car loan, not taken on the large higher purchase, um, you know, all of those sorts of things that we would have been so much further down the track had they only known how much that was going to affect their ability and their application. So planning, planning before you even start so that you know what the criteria are um, so you actually know what the playing field looks like of the game that you're about to step into and you're well prepared. But yes, certainly the buying together, um, and and I know this is a hard one, but the bank of mom and dad saves somebody in New Zealand every single day <laughs> of every single week. But again, there's a right way to do it and a way to do it where all parties are protective, protected if mom and dad are helping with the transaction. So those are two things to really seek some advice on. Can mom and dad help me and how do we do that? Or could a bunch of us join together and do it? How do we do that? Yeah. And as you say, and just being prepared to know the game you're playing, which is just such smart advice for sure. Um, and so what do you reckon is a common myth about your industry? Because I know 
you know, people think, oh, it's got to be easy. Just got to get a mortgage. I don't think it is that way anymore. But, you know, what, what, what would you like to say to someone that might underestimate the importance of having a mortgage broker on their side or a mortgage advisor on their side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I apologize for sounding like a broken record, but you need <laughs> good advice. You need good advice. I think probably one of the biggest um, myths that I hear is, I can do it. I can do it. I'll just wander into a branch of a bank and I'll just lay my entire life down on the table in any sort of order and they will give me a loan to go and buy a house. There's so much to it. There is so much to it. Never mind just getting approved, but making sure you're protected, making sure that the mortgage you get actually is the right structure for you, that the interest rates you're taking are carefully thought out in terms of what may or may not happen in your life going forward, making sure that your exit strategy is in place. All of that good advice, um, yeah, really is invaluable. So I think that that big myth of, oh, I, I can just walk into a bank and do it myself. Um, given that people don't buy houses, don't take out mortgages very often, you know, they say, I got a great deal. And I say, oh, that that's good to hear. Can I ask, how do you know you got a great deal? Because I promise you, I, I do this every single day of the week. And I spend a huge amount of my time staying up to date on policy changes and interest rate fluctuations and what is this bank doing that this bank isn't doing and therefore that customer shouldn't be over there they should be over here I spend a huge amount of time staying up to date with that so imagine if you've got a life and children and a job how do you know how do you know the offer you've been given whether it's good bad or otherwise so it's actually a really interesting space to be in because you are um, you're, you're like the interface between um, between the bank, which has got all the money, but also that they're, that they're wanting, and the person doing that. It's a really interesting place to be. I mean, it must be frustrating at times, but it's also, um, yeah, I, I just sort of think it's, it's almost like a safeguard or a safety net um, yes. for, for some, for both sides, actually, you know, yes. in a way. Yeah, so yes. you've got to sort of vet people pretty well, as so does the bank um, have to put, you know, so it's quite an interesting setup, really. It works quite well, I would imagine. Yeah. It, re- it really does. It's a great industry, great industry to be in. And I would say because I love people, isn't that isn't that strange? It's finance and it's, it's money, lovely. but yeah. I love it because I love people. Yeah. yeah, you really you are in people's living rooms. You are seeing their bank statements. You know more about people's lives than probably anybody other than their life insurance advisor or their doctor. <laughs> you you pretty much know everything. So it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to work with people in this industry. So you get to see how many coffees a day they have. And <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's quite challenging. And just say going back again to that, to that woman who's sort of stuck in my mind at the moment, um, how do you, what advice do you give yourself and also to your clients when they come, you know, when they've really been pushed because that's actually, you know, that's tough. So, what do you do when times are tough? And also what advice do you give to others when times are tough for them? Mm. Yeah, because this really is about doing life with other with other people. Um, I went on a course, um, a, a sort of like a, a 
counselling course um, by a gentleman in New Zealand, uh, David Riddell, and the course is called Living Wisdom. And basically, um, the whole point of the Living Wisdom course is making friends with your mind, making your mind your friend, you know, as opposed to your enemy, which for a lot of us <laughs> sometimes Absolutely. is. That, yeah. that course helped me hugely. Really, it helped me to manage myself and my emotions, but also to help talk clients through and guide them through what's happening. Um, and one of the things that I really learned on this course is about catastrophizing. You know, I would do it and often I see people doing it. I've missed out and I've missed out and this is the end of the world. I'm never going to be able to buy a house. Mm. I'm just going to give up. It's absolutely impossible. So just really being a sounding board for people to say, you know, okay, this is rough and you're not alone. This is happening to a lot of people and this is the nature of the market. So you're not imagining this. This, this is happening and it is real. So validating that frustration that they're feeling, but then taking them back to the fact that it's not actually catastrophic, you know, um, there are people in the world who rent for their entire lives. There is an enormous amount of the world population who live in shacks or mud huts. Or So taking away the catastrophe and saying, okay, why don't we ask ourselves some good questions? Questions mm -hmm. like, what can we control? Okay, what can we do? What is our next step? So I'm very much an action person, maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but what's the next thing that we can do? And that might be saying, just let that property go. We need to move on. That one is not going to happen for us. Let's find the next one. What's next? You know, that real resilience of having to move on to the next property when it's number 14. Um, and, and, and that is hard going. And because I know myself that, in my nature, I'm a bit of a rescuer. I, I want to take away their pain. I, I want to make it all right mm. for them. And this industry has been a really steep learning curve that Hillary, the rescuer, actually can't and shouldn't rescue people. I yeah. can empower them, help them to ask good questions, make good decisions, and keep moving forward. Um, but I'm not there to rescue everybody and... Um, I guess I have found out the hard way what that does to me and also what that does to them. So that, that's been a real lesson and I'm careful. I guess I'm careful in terms of managing how people deal with the disappointment. But also upskilling them too. And I think just even that four-letter word of next is so important because otherwise we do hang on to the what's going wrong and down we go swirling into, into all of that. But actually it's like, okay, that's tough. Okay, what's next? What else can we do? And also as women too, I think protecting ourselves with our own boundaries. There's, you know, sometimes you can't, you can't do everything for everyone. They have to... You know, this is a challenge to um, that our heart goes out for, but it's also building resilience and resourcefulness. And you know, and um, I, I suppose your client's going to be able to utilise the the mindset that she's developing through all of this, and this ability to just pick herself up and keep moving, 
and have the good advice all around her because you seem to be like a complete package there. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, lucky her. That's that's brilliant. Um, I think also I I have um, the the privilege of knowing what it's going to be like when she actually gets there. So I'm I'm there beside someone when they get the house, when they win the auction, when they move in on settlement day. So I've got all that hindsight. I've been there. I've been through the joy and the celebration and what it means to somebody to own a home. And kind of in the back of my mind, I know that's coming. We just got to hang in there because I know that day is coming for them and I will be there with them. And the celebration will be enormous. <laughs> I bet it will be, yeah. yeah. But no, that's, that's, that's really cool and I think that having that energy as well and maybe you know that that can be applied to many things in life too can't it is just having that energy that we take with us that yes it's all going to work out because otherwise we can catastrophize and stay stuck and things like that so yeah I agree our mindset is so important um so Hillary you are obviously influenced or you can influence people and you've also been influenced by you know, um, things you've read, books and 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 people that you've worked with. Um, what are you what have you listened to recently that has been quite inspiring for you? Um, the or even read or listen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so Living Wisdom is absolutely my go-to. That that's my my foundation of where I base things. But in terms of listening to um there's um a wonderful American online um businesswoman, Marie Forleo, and she does some just fabulous podcast she's she's out there and she's um fabulous and loud and artistic and she just introduces some guest speakers as she goes along um that that, that I listen to regularly and that, that really helps it just helps me to yeah focus my mind have something to think about nothing like you know the vacuum in your mind when you've got nothing to think about you start making things up so <laughs> filling my mind with um good things that I can think about. So Marie Folio would probably be one of my go-to people in terms of getting some good inspiration. And it's funny you mentioned her because I was literally listening to her podcast when she was interviewing Mel Robbins um, like two days ago uh, with the high five habit, which I actually think was brilliant. So I don't know if you've listened to that episode. I've been sending it out to a few people to listen to. So, um, yeah, so I agree. I'm constantly filling up and giving myself you know, keeping my own mind busy with where I want to go and what I want to do because there's too much bad news out there and I don't want to sort of whitewash it, but it's actually really important to stay focused and, and where are we going, what do we want to do, you know, um, and I think we have to take responsibility for that part of us as well, don't we, rather than yeah, just letting absolutely. life happen to us. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And so... Um, when things so obviously you've got the living wisdom um what do you do when when things are tough for you apart from you know like obviously listening to podcasts and things like that but what is what do you do when the proverbial hits the fan and mm. I like to ask that question because otherwise you know we're in fantasy if we think tough times don't happen and you see it with some clients. Um, we 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 see it all around. But do you have sort of a go to strategy for you that maybe someone else can learn from? Yes, yes. I think that um, I think that because I'm very action focused, the first thing I have to do is stop. 
because my immediate inclination is, how can I fix this? Quick, what's, what do I need to do next? <laughs> and let me fix this where I, I'm learning that actually, first of all, I need to stop and take stock. So I have um, the most beautiful um, outdoor swinging chair that I go and sit in, and my swinging chair looks out over the Waiuku countryside. I've actually got a stand of native bush right next to my house, and I sit on my veranda in my thinking chair, and I just take a minute to take stock before I rush into action. Um, and that that has helped me to make a good plan, but also to stop doing a crazy plan, which I otherwise would have <laughs> just rushed into. Um, and I think once I've stopped and thought about things and, and asked myself good questions, like, am I catastrophizing? Is this a catastrophe? So if it's not, can I take a step back? Um, and then I can get into my action after that. And can I tell you a little story? I, of, I guess course. This is, yeah, of course. This is one thing that I was sort of, that sums this up. Um, my father had passed away and um, five months after him passing away, my mother and I were in a doctor's appointment um, and she had had some tests and the doctor said to her, your tests have come back and um, you have stage four lung cancer and you have four to 12 months to live. So we had just lost my father and uh, yeah, I think yeah. anyone who's been in that sort of position that you just go numb, you just... You lose all sense of time and perspective. Um, and, of course, we went away and did some soul-searching and mm, striking. Yeah. And it gave me time to take stock and to pause and to say, is this a catastrophe? Well, actually, probably probably it is. 99% of the time it's not, but this, this one actually might be. And what I told myself in that time was, if there's anything I can do, I'm going to try. I'm going to step up and try, even if I don't manage to help or solve the situation. So when we went back to the doctor, I said, is there anything, anything that you can tell us? And he said, well, there's um, a drug on the market that we believe could be effective in giving you a little bit of longevity. It's not a cure but it's $10,000 a month. Ooh. And at that moment, my, uh, my instinct in terms of I can step up, I, I can step up. I said, right, we're paying it. We're going to pay $10,000. We're going to get this drug and we're going to see if it works. Of course, my mother was devastated. She was just struggling to make any sort of decisions. I can um, imagine. So, it would just be quite, yeah, it would just be numb as, yeah. Yeah. So we got the drug one month, fantastic results, phenomenal results. So, of course, now we had the very, very difficult decision of $10,000 a month for survival. So I, I actually said, what can I do if there's any step I could take? So I said, why don't I contact the drug company? So I contacted the drug company and put our case to the drug company. The drug company then asked to be put in touch with the oncologist and for no charge for the rest of my mother's life, they will provide this drug that costs $10,000 a month. And wow. she is thriving. We are two and a half years down the track. Um, the cancer's not gone, but it's being held in place. Um, remarkable, absolutely remarkable outcome. 
Wow, yeah. what an amazing story. And yeah. wow. so I think stopping thinking it through, but also asking if I was brave, what would I do if I wasn't so terrified? And I am, I'm so terrified that I'm stuck. But if I was brave, what would I do? Why wouldn't I go to the the company? What, I've got nothing to lose. Why wouldn't we give the drug a try? There's nothing to lose. Um, you know, just if I was brave, what would I do? And then, then do it. Just do it. I love that. I love that. Can we, yeah. So if we, if I was brave, what would I do? I love that question. And kudos to you and to your mum. That's amazing, amazing result and all the very best there. But yeah, and if you just kept busy, that question may never have, you know, popped in. It's like just giving ourselves space for that inspired thought. And I think we know because we knew each other from a, a previous life as well. When you did, when you get inspired thought, take action. Um, and I know that that has actually been something that I think about a lot as well. So, uh, Hilary, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, I love this question. What advice would you give her? Because, you know, there's some real wisdom that we've we've accumulated over the years and often we don't stop often enough. But, you know, looking back at that young, enthusiastic version of you, what advice would you give her? Yeah, so much, so much advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I would say, Hillary, your life will not turn out like you thought it would. And that's okay. It's okay. So, you know, enjoy the journey. Don't be so black and white. I was very fixed in what I thought was going to happen and what I was going to make my life out to be. Um, And there's so many things in life that you can't control. Things that happen to you that devastate you out of left field that you never saw coming, um, that you can't plan for. So I would say, yeah, life is not going to turn out like you think it is, but that's okay. And actually, if you look back, you may find out it turns out better than what you had planned. That's nice. Yeah. And also add thinking chair as well. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So if you could have dinner with three people alive or dead, and I've just been asking some of my guests this question because I'm fascinated by the answers because they're all so different. But if you could have dinner with three people and it doesn't matter whether they're alive or not, who would it be and why? (laughs) For completely fickle reasons. I I love Will Smith. I just, I have always loved Will Smith. (laughs) Can I come for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) From the Fresh Prince of Ballet onwards. Um, And I just think he is so much fun. He's, He's a wonderful human being. He has a great outlook on life in terms of positivity and can do. I would love to have dinner with Will Smith. <laughs> That's fantastic. So who, who else would be there joining you both? <laughs> Probably from an adventure point of view, it would be great to have dinner with my great uncle. So my great uncle went to Africa in 1919 and bought our family farm. 
um, and oh, what I would give to know what was it like, um, you know, the, the adventures, the excitement, the craziness of Africa at that time. It would be really, really interesting to know the farm that I grew up on, where it had come from and what it was like in 1919. It's, that would be incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. And who would be number three? Probably from a, a soul-searching point of view, I think that it would be fascinating to sit down with Mother Teresa. And the reason I say that is my my attempted motto in life is to love God and to love people. I, I really strive for that. And I think she is the epitome of that. A woman who gave up everything to live with the poor, who lived what she believed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that would be a very humbling dinner, that one. Well, I think it'll be a fascinating dinner, actually. And um, and from what I've heard, I mean, she was pretty determined to, yeah, to get what she, she wanted. And, yeah. you know, so it's quite amazing, actually. So, Hilary, is women who are remarkable just the way we are? Because I'm all about women owning their worth. Um, what is remarkable about you and what you do? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I often get a big gap at the end of that question. <laughs> but because we know um, value is an inside job and mm. what we feel inside gets reflected back to us. So so I love to, for women to really begin to own a little bit more of that. So mm. what's remarkable about who you are and what you do? I really love people. I, I, I do love people. And I I try to live my life in a way that reflects that. Um, it's really important to me to be generous and kind, to be forgiving, to live with empathy. And, and I, I, I hope in some way that that contributes to the human beings around me. Hmm, that's remarkable. That's lovely. And is there any one, would you want to leave us with, you know, one little piece of advice, you know, and it can be about anything, could be business, could be life, um, whatever, just seeing what's top of mind? Yeah, when, when you're making a very big financial decision, reach out and get some advice. Cool, so what are your contact details, Hilary? Thank you, so um, you can find me on the Luminate website, which is just www.luminate.co.nz um, or hillary at luminate.co.nz. Always happy to just have a chat with people to see if I can help them point them in the right direction. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, if I've got nothing else out of this, which I've got plenty, by the way, it is to get great advice about your big financial decisions that you're doing. And for new home buyers out there is just go get great advice too, so that you are planned and prepped and ready to play a bigger game with your finances. So thank you so much for joining me, Hilary. It's been lovely talking to you. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for listening to Remarkable Woman Radio. For more episodes and more details of today's show, please go to remarkablemindset.com. Let me ask you, what makes you remarkable? Remarkable.